Hey, welcome in one and all to the Talking Tide podcast. It's the Sunday nighter here. Chase Goodbread of BamaOnline.com and Crimson Cover Television, along with Travis Ryer, the senior analyst at BamaOnline.com and radio host of Southern Fried Sports, which you can catch each and every day, 11 to noon at 100.9 FM in Tuscaloosa. The Talking Tide Twitter feed is Talking underscore Tide. You can catch links to our twice weekly pod drops there. Also, get us at the web host, which is podbean.com. Also, various platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And we open the Sunday night, of course, recapping the previous Alabama football game. And Travis, a lot to recap here uh, in this trip to Oxford for the Crimson Tide. They prevail 63-48 to in, in a, not only a high-scoring affair, but just up and down with the yardage. They end up with over 1,300 yards of total offense between the two of them on a relatively even split. Nobody could stop the pass. Nobody could stop the run. Nobody could stop the touchdowns, really. And at the end of the day, Ole Miss finally blinked in the second half when Alabama forced a field goal when it had been a trade of touchdowns. And from that point on, Alabama was able to kind of break it open a little. Yeah, if there were some defensive spotlights or highlights or silver linings for Alabama on Saturday night at Vaught-Hemingway Stadium, uh, one of them was halftime. It was good to get to half, right, (laughs) after that first half, especially that second quarter. Uh, And then the two field goals that Alabama forced there in the fourth quarter helped them sort of break serve. It felt like a five-setter at Wimbledon in a lot of ways and a men's final uh, that you thought might go to, you know, 20 to 18 or something in the fifth set, the way that these two offenses were going up and down the field for the for the majority of last night. But um, ultimately, Alabama offensively just, boy, a, a juggernaut. And so was Ole Miss. And look, we're going to talk about Lane Kiffin. We're going to talk about Jeff Levy and the outstanding job that the offensive staff did for for Ole Miss in the game, um, you know, there were some firsts for Alabama defensively in the Nick Saban era that we'll probably get into as well. But you don't want to overlook the performance of this Alabama offense. I think we've almost become desensitized to it after the last couple of years with Tua Tagovailoa and these receivers and, you know, the skill talent in general. But, uh, you know, back-to-back 400-yard passing games now for Mac Jones, not Tua Tagovailoa. Not some of the other greats that have played the position at Alabama, but Mac Jones, the first to ever do that. Uh, Devontae Smith with a big night once again against an Ole Miss team. Uh, Najee Harris with some first uh, and some career-type numbers uh, based on his performance on Saturday night. So absolutely a lot to get to, most of it having to do with the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, we'll start with offense. Mac Jones, first of all, And I realize in this day and age, completion percentage isn't as telling a stat as maybe it once was, Travis. But 28 out of 32, that tells you guys were getting open at the very least. It was pitch and catch. Uh, My uh, lousy math skills tell me that 28 out of 32 is probably high 80s, low 90s percentage-wise. And, uh, you know, Mac Jones practically couldn't miss. Yeah, he was outstanding, you know, and you you talk about the completion percentage and you're right. 
87 and a half uh, was the number. He was 28 of 32. And, you know, of those four incompletions, one of those was a drop by John Mechie there in the second half on a perfectly thrown crossing route. So uh, Mac was stellar. I thought Mac, as much as anything, did a nice job in terms of patience. Didn't appear as if Ole Miss was going to offer up some of the the opportunities for the deep ball to be as much of a factor, but he stayed underneath and uh, in some instances allowed his, his receivers to do what they do well, and that's get it done after the catch. And, um, you know, there hasn't been this sort of spreading of the wealth that we've seen the last couple of years uh, when you had a couple of other guys like Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs III in this mix at wide receiver. But, boy, he is in such a rhythm right now with Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell and now John Mechie coming into that. And then there's just enough of Miller Forstall and even Najee Harris in the passing game last night. So uh, it's tough for opposing defenses because they know where it's coming from. They know where the football is going to go, but the precision is such right now that it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you're right. This receiving core obviously doesn't quite have the depth that the, that the Alabama receivers did a year ago. But one thing you notice, Travis, not only last year, but on through to this year as well, it's like it's always somebody different who's the big eater. One week it's Smith, the next week it's Waddle. Then it'll be back to Smith. We've seen John Mechie lead the team in receiving for one of these early games. Uh, so, yeah, the depth isn't there. But it's not like an offense where you know the same guy is going to be the one to eat. Uh, like you see in a, in a lot. And it was that way last year, too. Last year, Ruggs and Smith and Waddle kind of took turns on who the big dog was going to be from week to week. You know, Smith's almost having a year so far similar to what Judy had a couple of years ago. Judy's yards per catch a couple of seasons ago wasn't what it was maybe in his freshman or uh, even uh, his junior campaigns, but he was the guy that was targeted more frequently. You're seeing Devontae with a, a few more targets than Jalen Waddell um, and John Mechie, uh, but it hasn't kept Waddle from not having three straight 100-yard games like he has to start this season. And, um you know, you just look at the numbers for Devontae Smith in these last two games against Ole Miss. 24 receptions, 440 receiving yards, six touchdowns. That's what he's done against Ole Miss the last two seasons alone. Eating him up. Najee Harris, certainly somebody that uh, deserves a few minutes of our attention as well. Travis, 23 for 206 and five touchdowns, average nine a pop. Uh, career game for him, no question about it. Looked about as good as you could look. Ole Miss, obviously, uh, with some of the missed tackles, kind of kind of served some of the, some of that yardage up. Uh, but hey, big big night for Najee Harris. Kind of bouncing back because remember against Texas A and M, he really didn't get off like he normally does. Yeah, we talked about it last week. You sort of expected this to be a breakout game, really for an Alabama run game in general. It hasn't been leaned upon all that much, but 110 yards per game coming in, that's not the numbers you typically expect from Alabama. Well, it's the first 300-yard rushing performance from Alabama in the game on Saturday night since Arkansas in 2017. That's how long it's been. It tells you how much Alabama has changed uh, in terms of offensive approach here in the last couple of years. But, you know, something else, Najee's 39-yard touchdown run to cap it, on Saturday night, longest run from scrimmage of his UA career, 
Chase. That kind of surprised me a little bit. I, I know that he's been more of a, a 10, 12, 15 yard type guy, but uh, a 39 yard touchdown run and uh, again, another solid night. I thought Brian Robinson gave the run game a spark too there in the second quarter. Uh, second straight week in which we've seen some positive things from the senior running back. 76 rushing yards on 10 carries. Najee did have his first fumble and what was it? 467 <laughs> career touches. And, you know, I thought at the time still feel that way. That's kind of college football in a nutshell when it comes to the whistle. Uh, the whistle is oftentimes at the college level, especially compared to the NFL, very slow in coming. I thought Najee fell victim to that a little bit on that uh, on that fumble. Yeah, I wondered. It really wasn't even discussed on the broadcast whether or not his forward progress had stopped or whether and even not the whistles had blown. They clearly hadn't. But, yeah, it was pretty obvious to me that, that Ole Miss had him bottled up. You know, you're right. 39 yards for a long for a guy that's been carrying the ball as, as long as Najee Harris has. Not what you think. And really, the the knock on him and scouting circles for the NFL, Travis, is just straight ahead raw speed. They're not sure how fast he's going to run at the combine. They don't see uh, blazing fast wheels on the tape. You know, he had a run against Ole Miss where he had it. If, if he Kenyon Drake would have taken it to the house, he ended up getting bumped out of bounds. Um, but I tell you, his his power and his ability to get extra yards in the open field, even even through contact, is is really impressive. His stiff arm, I, I've kind of come to know, and of course the hurdling. I mean, he had he had an incredible hurdle as well. Uh, Nick Saban not a big fan of that in his running backs, but he really can't argue with with Najee. Uh, who who seems to uh, always pull that out of his trick bag at the right time. But the, his stiff arm, I've noticed a lot of times, you know, mo- most running backs will will lock the elbow with the stiff arm and just try to keep the defender as far away as possible. Najee's got a little give in that elbow, but then it's a shove. Um, you know what I'm saying? He's a little he, more he compact. Out. Yeah. yeah, a little more compact than Derrick Henry. You know, it's almost like uh, boxers. You know, you, you, you're able to use your your length and your and your and your wingspan a little bit to your advantage. No one has done that ever at Alabama, and even at the professional level, like Najee, like Derrick Henry does it. That's a little bit different. I'll tell you something else with the run game uh, that I really liked, and I think we're probably going to see more of it moving forward uh, in terms of how you get. Uh, guys like Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell involved and give you a little more juice on the edge. You know, Alabama likes to run outside zone sometimes with the type of backs that it has. I'm not sure if that's necessarily the best fit. I'm more of pistol guy, which we saw some of. The pistol runs were effective once again against Ole Miss. But if you want to try to run outside zone with Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith, both those guys got handoffs in the game. Uh, glorified jet sweeps, I would go ahead and say. But uh, I think I think Steve Sarkeesian gave Georgia and some upcoming opponents a little something extra to think about by doing that against Ole Miss on Saturday night. I no doubt about it. All right, the Alabama defense will turn our attention to that. Just a complete disaster. Opposite report card from the offense, Travis. Uh, <laughs> I'm 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 gonna go I'm gonna go ahead and say. Um, I'm going to go ahead and call it a C average, right? It's an A for the offense and an F for the defense. It's got to be, right? 
Yeah, you know, I, I steer clear. I do the grades for BamaOnline.com. And I don't give Fs uh, on my report cards regardless because I don't do that with college players. If we were talking about the National Football League, we're talking about guys getting paid to play, I, yes. Yeah, in, in those terms, uh, for the Alabama defense, that would be the case. Uh, but but it was unsatisfactory. We used to get, you know, in school when I was a kid, <laughs> there was a section on the report card where we would get S's uh-huh. or, or U's, yeah. you know, and the S's were for satisfactory and the U's were for unsatisfactory. I'd say unacceptable even yeah. uh, in a lot of regards on Saturday night. It was. It was bad. That Regardless was for the social of, skills, by the way. Travis, exactly. Exactly. Card. I didn't think private school kids knew that being a public school kid but um no it it was it was just and look it was from the outset man you know and you knew lane was gonna have a script for you and you knew it was gonna involve tempo and i think probably the tempo bothered alabama as much as anything um but as far as how Ole miss went about attacking alabama how could that have been a surprise I mean, you had two games on tape where it had been very clear what your weaknesses were. Uh, most of it involved the middle of the field. Most of it involved matchups like running backs on linebackers or slot receivers on linebackers, tight ends on linebackers and safeties. And yeah, Ole Miss didn't waste any time with it. I mean, the opening snap was Amari Cooper from 2014. You get Elijah Moore sort of in this bunch formation coming across the formation after the snap, and it's an easy little dump to him in the flat matched up against Dylan Moses. That was as Amari Cooper in 2014, as you'll ever see. I think Amari actually turned a play like that against Tennessee, I want to say, in 2014 into a big play touchdown on, like, the first play of scrimmage from scrimmage in Knoxville that year. Right. Yeah. It was – it was – it looked like the 2019 Alabama defense all over again, yeah, really. It, 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 it was uh, a disaster. I thought, look, I, I expected Corral to throw it all over this team. I, I really, I, 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 I knew Matt Corral was going to have a big day. What I didn't know was that they were going to pop two backs, two over 100 yards, Travis. Oof. Not one, but a, a, a pair. Yeah. Uh, yeah. over 100 yards, and they got it up the middle. But, boy, where they really hurt Alabama was on the, on the edge. There was no edge setting no. against the run by that Alabama defense. Play after play uh, that went outside, you would, you would see Ole Miss backs turn in the corner 10 yards from the sideline with grass to run. There so was. It, it was it, something. I, I, you know, look, we can talk about the players. We can talk about – uh, missed assignments, busts that continue to be a problem. Uh, but it goes on the coaching staff ultimately. You know, however you want to slice it up, you know, those are the people that had the multi year deals for seven figures. Um, those are the people that were charged with getting it right after all the issues a year ago. You were going to have Dylan Moses healthy. And look, I'll even listen to sort of the, the explanation. And I've said it myself here in the last couple of weeks that I've had to tell myself that, you know, there's a difference between playing weak side linebacker and having the guy next to you calling the shots and playing Mike and and being that guy. And sometimes when I watch Dylan right now, I, I think there's still some some growing pains going on there. Plus, he, he is coming off a significant injury, but 
the, the problem is that isn't your only issue right now, right up the middle of that defense. I mean, it was third and 27 last night in the second quarter, Chase. And when it's third and 27, what are two plays that come to mind most times for an offense? There are no plays for third and 27, first of all. But what you'll typically see is a draw or a screen on third and 27. And when Lane Kiffin is trying his damnedest to just punt the ball, you let him punt it. Instead, he runs the predictable draw. They run the predictable Ole Miss does draw on third and seven and right up the gut for 22 yards. And so then Lane's got no choice but to go for the fourth and five, which he gets the back out of the backfield. Uh, Jerry and Ely for an easy 18 yards down inside the five. Next play, it's touchdown. That was as discouraging of a sequence as I've seen from an Alabama defense since Jeremy Pruitt left the building. It was it was so bad. And, you know, that's where the concern comes in for me because, look, you couldn't say on that play, well, You know, Christian Barmore wasn't on the field. Christian Barmore was at nose tackle. You know, you couldn't say, well, Dylan Moses was out. Dylan Moses was at the Mac linebacker. They were in their dime. Yep. And at the snap, everybody just went into the assumption of this is a pass play. And so you had two or three people right off the bat out of position. And then now what you've got right now, because you don't have, and this goes to the attrition, I get that. You have guys standing around waiting on other guys to make tackles or make plays. And that's what you get on third and 27 that ends up two plays later ending up in the end zone. You know, before I say what I'm about to say, I'll preface by saying, look, there are some good football players on this defense. There's no doubt about it. Draft. There are draft picks on this defense. There are pieces in this defense that are that are winning pieces. All that said, Travis, you can name me any Alabama defense from 08 to 18. Any of them. That's 11 defenses. And I think I'd be hard-pressed to name two or three, more than two or three starters on this defense who would start for any of the 11 defenses I just pointed out. There's a couple of ways to look at it because you've had some guys that have waited their turn, right? And now they're getting the opportunity. Well, why did it's one thing to wait your turn, but it's also another thing that while waiting your turn, you really didn't have a role, even a, in a situational basis. Right. You know what I'm saying? Typically, what you see at Alabama is guys go from special teams into situational type roles, into maybe every down roles. At Alabama here in the last year or two, we're seeing guys just thrust into every down roles that we hadn't seen for the previous three or four years. Well, there's probably a reason for that, right? And again, that's not to knock or say that it's totally without the realm of possibility that in the next couple weeks, still a lot of football to play. I get that. And perhaps the light goes on and, the osmosis that you had hoped was taking place while some of these guys were biding their time behind guys who have since moved on to the National Football League, it, it comes into play. It, it happens for them. 
but uh, it hasn't yet. It hasn't yet. And, and this isn't to just knock sort of the career reserve types either, because again, you know, you've had some guys that you were anticipating taking that next step to sort of all conference level. They flashed it from time to time, maybe in one of the three games, they've provided that sort of 60 minute effort, but there's been zero consistency across the board other than other than what I would point to are the two corners. I think Patrick Sertan and Josh Job for three games have been what you needed them to be. Every other spot on the football field, it's been very much hit or miss. I think the totality of the defensive effort that we saw Saturday, Travis, was so bad it gave Daniel Wright some cover in a way. Because, look, if, if you know, obviously Daniel Wright got – um, postered for the play against Texas A&M, some ha- some heat from the fans about that, like you'd see with in any in any similar situation with anybody else. Comes in this year though, or, or excuse me, comes in Saturday against Ole Miss, makes a couple of big mistakes again. I guess what I'm trying to say is, if this game had been 63 to 21 instead of 63 48, and Daniel Wright had been the, the the main identifiable identifiable problem. Yeah. It'd be a lot more fan base heat on Daniel Wright right now, but everybody was bad. Well, for the second straight game, we saw DeMarco Hellams come in for him. I mean, he was replaced in the game Saturday night, just like he was against Texas A&M. So I think what's going to provide Wright with some cover for the first half, at least next week is the fact that Jordan battle is suspended. Yeah. For the first two quarters against the Georgia Bulldogs because of a late targeting flag in the game against Ole Miss. So whether you want to or not, I don't know how you don't start Daniel Wright along with DeMarco Helms or somebody else at safety. And I'm going to tell you why. You know what provides Daniel Wright with cover going into Georgia Saturday night? Who the hell else is going to make the calls back there? Without yeah. Jordan Battle. DeMarco Hellams is right. going to make the calls? One of these true freshman safeties are going to make the calls? No. Your fourth-year junior is probably going to be the guy that you look to with Battle out for the first half to run the show back there. Am I wrong on that? No, I think you're exactly right. Yeah, there, there's uh, Daniel Wright will see all the snaps he wants and then some in, the, in this game, even though even with Battle coming back after the half. I think it could be interesting in, in the second half to see, certainly to start the third quarter, okay, when Battle's eligible and he's back out there, is it right? Is it Helms? Um, right. You know, or do you start to look at, you know, doing some things with Brian Branch and or Malachi Moore at the safety position? You know, when you are in a position where you can put Battle out there with one of those guys? Um, I think the one thing you're, least likely to do to start the game against Georgia is say, okay, DeMarco Hellams, you're really a a first-year player in a lot of ways on the defensive side of the ball. We're going to put you out there with a true freshman at safety. And, you know, I don't think the challenge this week with Georgia's offense is going to be to the extent it was with Ole Miss in terms of bells and whistles and tempo and going fast and even in terms of dynamic playmakers. 
I, I don't think Georgia's quite to that level of what Ole Miss put out there on Saturday night. Uh, but <laughs> it's still going to be concerning, no doubt. Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. I am Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television, which you can see on Friday nights on WVUA. Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com and Southern Fried Sports Radio host. Uh, with you for a few more minutes, we're going to talk about a few other games around the Southeastern Conference before we close things out. But first, uh, a mention for our Fine sponsors, uh, starting with North River Dental Associates and Dr. Jack Smalley. Hey, look, if you have any dental problems whatsoever, if your family does, maybe it's your parents, call Dr. Jack over at North River Dental Associates. He's the one to call no matter what the dental need is. He's got experience with it. He's been doing this an awful long time. And, hey, they get you in and out on a routine cleaning so fast, you're not in the waiting room long at all under an hour in and out, including the wait, usually with a routine cleaning. You want to make an appointment? It's NorthRiverDentist.com online or give them a call at 752-3506. Hey, they can do it all uh, from porcelain veneers to teeth whitening services to dental implants. Uh, you name it, North River Dental is the place to go in West Alabama. It's North River Dental Associates. Going to tell you about Southern Ale House out there at 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hills section of Tuscaloosa. We've told you many, many times here on the podcast about all the great options awaiting you there with our great friends there at SAH. Whether you're in the market for an outstanding lunch, you want a burger, they can take care of you. In fact, on Tuesdays, they have Craft Burger Day in which you're going to get a trifecta of some creativity when it comes to outstanding burgers. You always want to check on those on Tuesdays. And then, of course, we've got our own personal favorites. They're all great, but the Yardbird Chicken Sandwich, outstanding. We've told you many times before, if you want to go lighter, they've got an outstanding salad selection. Took the wife and the two daughters to Southern Ale House for lunch late last week. We all got those chopped wedge salads, outstanding with the grilled chicken. Get it with the fried chicken that's your preference you can get the blue cheese crumbles with the blue cheese dressing or any of the other house-made dressings there sauces that they do right there in-house at southern ale house 1530 mcfarland boulevard north also want to tell you about heat pizza bar downtown tuscaloosa big home game weekend coming up man and if you're planning to sort of be in the middle of it all right there in downtown tuscaloosa not a better place to do it than at heat pizza bar government plaza Works out great, too, on game weekends because the central location is right there at the downtown parking deck at Government Plaza. Plenty of parking right there. Park the rig. Walk right into Heat Pizza Bar. You're going to find outstanding pizzas, whether you're more of a traditionalist. You just want a great pepperoni pizza. They can do that at Heat Pizza Bar. You want to get something more along the line of the Heat Pizza Bar exclusives or uh, signature pies. Well, we told you about the Thai chicken pizza. It's among the many great options there at Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. All right, the Talking Tide podcast rolls on, talking SEC football around the league. Travis, I see four games from Saturday that are worth, I think, a minute of our time. Usually we only talk about uh, one, two, maybe three, but uh, 
four to get into with this one, and that would be Georgia's win over Tennessee, A&M knocking off Florida in College Station, Auburn nipping Arkansas in a controversial game, and Missouri uh, hanging loss number two in the league on LSU. Uh, remarkable games. Three of them really tight. One of them not tight at all. Uh, let's start with the one that was won easily. Georgia over Tennessee, 44-21. A game that Tennessee hung with Georgia tight and closed for a while. Kind of made you think it was going to be tight to the wire. Didn't end up that way. Yeah, I think what happened was you saw the difference in the roster right now between what Kirby has put together. Kind of like what you saw in Alabama Ole Miss as that game got more into the fourth quarter. You're right. Through really three quarters, it was, what, a 23-21 game? Right. And uh, you just saw, I I think, uh, again, roster depth, roster quality took over. And an offense in Georgia's that's getting very comfortable with Stetson Bennett, the guy no one would have thought would be the guy behind center. Now that JT Daniels has been cleared to go there, the USC transfer, but it is very much Stetson Bennett's team right now. And, you know, that run game for Georgia has improved really since the first half of the opener against Arkansas. And uh, we sort of talked about it last week, right? The, the marquee matchup was going to be Tennessee's offensive line going against Georgia's front seven. And by the time that was over Saturday, I think we saw that, Georgia took care of business in that regard. So if that was going to be the case, your concern for Tennessee, conversely, was how would it hold up defensively over four quarters against Georgia's offensive line and in run game and uh, more of a balanced offense that we've seen here in the last two and a half game, two and a half games and kind of got our answer on that. Um, I thought Georgia was very impressive. I thought in terms of just balance and total football team, um, it was a very impressive performance for Georgia. A lot of momentum for the dogs coming here to Tuscaloosa. We'll be talking a lot more about Georgia in our Wednesday podcast, previewing Georgia's trip to Tuscaloosa. Travis, it, it was opined on the TV broadcast, Travis, that the gap between Tennessee and Georgia talent-wise is now closed on the line of scrimmage, and all the difference lies in the skill position players. Do you, you concur with that, or, or do you disagree? You know, I made the comparison – last week going into that game kind of felt like Tennessee was Alabama 2008 and maybe I don't know uh, Georgia was more Alabama 2009 maybe even looking ahead to 2012 a little bit right I think I think that was sort of the difference yes 2008 Alabama had Julio Jones and Julio's freshman year um was his second best of the three, Uh, 2010 and 2008. Those were his top two years at Alabama. But, you know, Tennessee is is a little bit of a one-trick pony on offense. And, um, you know, here's the thing I think about Tennessee right now and and where I think Jeremy's got it. Tennessee's going to beat the teams Tennessee is supposed to beat. Now the next step is filling in some holes on that roster, finding some more Henry Toa Toas, um, you know, getting a little bit more of a higher caliber of skill player. I know they have some young guys that they like, but you know, Josh Palmer had, did some nice things at the wide receiver position for Tennessee in the game Saturday. But um, you know, Guarantano, quarterback, he's not a dynamic guy at the position. 
Um, and so if you're not going to have that sort of player at quarterback, uh, you, you're going to need a little bit more to go around him, I think, at Tennessee. And, you know, Jim Chaney is um, – I think he's solid in a lot of ways as an offensive coordinator, but he hasn't exactly taken another step in towards towards today's kind of offense, you know. Um, he takes traditional on the offensive side of the ball sort of very literally. But, um, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of that with Georgia, too. I, I think Georgia probably has some things, though, offensively, maybe some more tempo, maybe some things that involve eye candy uh, that we're going to see more of this week against Alabama than we saw uh, the first three weeks. Texas A&M 41, Florida 38. I saw a bunch of this game, Travis, nearly all of it. Kellen Mond played a good football game. There's no doubt about it. Three touchdowns. I th- Texas A&M scored 41. I thought they could have scored 50 if Kellen Mond uh, had done a little more on the ground. I-, I think that offense runs best when when he gets a handful of designed runs, mm-hmm. and-, and we didn't see much of that from him, but he sure threw the ball well. Isaiah Spiller runs for 174. Uh, Florida defense, not up to snuff uh, at all, really. It was uh, – um, Especially, I thought in the, in the second half, A and M's offense just broke them open. Yeah, when you look at the Florida defense right now, really at every level, where's the next big thing, right? In terms of typically year in and year out, you're looking at a defensive lineman, whether it's an end, a tackle, or both, that you're going to expect to be a, you know, a first round type pick. Uh, the linebacker level, there, where's a Brandon Spikes type? on this defense. Where's Gerard Davis? Exactly. Where's that alpha? And I think Alabama sort of, I said this before too, I think Alabama and Florida right now are very similar in in how they're made up and and how they look to me when I watch them. But um, yeah, you're right. I I thought Mon throwing the football, that was, that's the tape Kellen Mon wants NFL people to look at. And I think it's a little bit of good news, bad news in that, Jimbo has it reinforced in his mind anyway. That's my guy. That's the guy I've been looking for at quarterback. That's the guy I've been trying to make happen, right? And so now the interest becomes what happens moving forward. You know, and look, hopefully Kellen Mond can sustain it and, uh, you know, continue to play at that high level from the pocket, 25 to 35, 338, three touchdowns. How about Texas A&M? 12 of 15 on third down in the game, Chase, and one for one on fourth. So 13 of 16 on possession plays against that Todd Grantham defense. Yeah, frustrated Grantham for sure. I, he, he must have blown a gasket. I, I, I thought, and he's so blitz happy. I, I, I thought we were going to see Florida bringing bringing more heat when things started to get away from him. But uh, it, was, uh, it was an off day for, for everybody, I think. Uh, in Gainesville. All right. Well, that game was in College Station, but I mean from U.S. Sure. Okay. Auburn 30, Arkansas 28. Real quick, Travis, your thought on, on the way that one finished up? Uh, again, credit more so to Arkansas. I know Auburn was shorthanded, uh, got some good stuff uh, out of Tank Bigsby, the, uh, the true freshman running back. Um, but Arkansas continues to impress me and, and really should have won the game. You know, Bo Nix... He goes to clock the football there late in the fourth quarter, going to try to set up another Anders uh, Carlson field goal attempt. Botches the snap, picks it up, turns, and spikes the ball behind him. 
which is technically a lateral. And alertly, a Arkansas defender jumped on the ball. There was a clear recovery after Nick spiked the ball behind him. And unfortunately for Arkansas, another quick whistle there, another timing discrepancy at Jordan Air Stadium. And uh, it works in the favor of the home team. Crazy, right? But, uh, you know, Arkansas impressed me. And, and you know what? Felipe Franks is a guy similar to Kellen Mond in recent years that's been hammered. I've been a part of that. I was impressed by Felipe Franks. Now, the Arkansas offense, when it had a chance to kill the clock there late in the game, you know, we can talk about the the botched officiating. Uh, but Arkansas had that game in its hands after Carlson had missed a field goal and couldn't do enough to to kill the clock there. Uh, late in the fourth quarter, but I give Felipe Franks uh, a lot of credit. He he kind of had his way with that uh, with that Auburn secondary. So good for him. How about that word salad that the SEC put out? And oh, sure. in, a, <laughs> in the call. If I'm an uh, Arkansas but, fan, just just save it, man. Don't yeah, don't uh, even yeah don't do that. I know you got to do it, but jeez, uh, you know yeah. that's toilet uh, paper, you know. Well, I'll throw that statement on the Talk and Tide Twitter feed. It's it's quite the uh, it's quite the explanation. All right. Uh, lastly, Travis, we've run a little long here with this Talk and Tide podcast. We can do that if we want to. We're not locked into uh, a certain time, but uh, it's it was worth it to talk a little more this week. LSU going down to Missouri by four. Uh, your thoughts on that one? Obviously, Hurricane Delta forced that game from Baton Rouge to Columbia. Uh, I don't think anybody thought that would be a factor in the outcome, Travis. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but for sure, uh, no matter where they played, this LSU defense has got a long, long way to go. Yeah, it does, you know, and that's why I really said after the the Alabama Ole Miss game, as much as we're going to hype up Alabama Georgia this week, and understandably so. I mean, you're talking the, the second, third ranked teams in the country. Um, getting together here in Tuscaloosa. Beating Ole Miss was more important Saturday night for Alabama than whatever happens this Saturday against Georgia because the SEC West is such a mess that regardless of what happens with Georgia, even if Alabama loses to Georgia on Saturday, you know, getting these SEC Western Division wins, uh, it's looking like Alabama is going to be able to get to Atlanta, right? when you would just look at the West right now. Right. Um, so it, it may be as much of a split between Georgia and Tennessee that's the, the tougher to sort of navigate here coming up than the division itself because LSU is just, you talk about hangover mode. And uh, how about these, these $2 million-plus defensive coordinators that we've talked about before? Mike Elko at, at A&M was sort of bailed out by the offense. Uh, of A&M and, and Kellen Mond and that win over Florida. Um, and then Bo Pelini. I, I'll never understand. Who the hell was LSU bidding against for <laughs> Bo Pelini? I mean, he was the head coach at Youngstown State making 200 k yeah. And LSU gives him $2.3 Who Who else wanted Bo Pelini, Chase? I, that, that's my question of the night. Who, who was LSU bidding against to bring this guy back to the power five level right place right time i guess if you're bo Pelini, it's the right place right time if you're getting those checks travis but if you're I a fan so. it, it was yeah. the worst place worst time 
but uh, yeah, it's 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 been a mess over there on the defensive side. And a lot of these two million dollar coordinators, Travis, have got two and three year deals. Well, you got defensive line coaches and linebacker coaches now with three year deals. You know, yeah. and people say, well, you got to give these kids F's on your report card. No, the F's need to go to the position Staff. coaches that have three year deals for 2.5 million guaranteed. That's who gets the F's in my yeah. opinion at the college level. You can give anybody an F you want, but I'm just telling you from my perspective, you know, when we start letting these players go and make as much money as they can possibly make any way they want to make it or can make it. Okay. We'll start. I'll start grading them. I'll start giving them F's, you know, but uh, until and, and until then, I know this is a topic for another podcast. And uh, but but yeah, I mean it's 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 crazy. It's crazy money. But I I do wonder though, Chase, with COVID nineteen and what we've seen with budgets around athletic departments here and things like that, if if there's going to be a moratorium on some of that moving forward in the near future. All right, it's going to do it for this edition of the Talking Tide podcast. Be sure to join us on Wednesday night when we preview Alabama's Saturday night home game against the Georgia Bulldogs, number two versus number three. It's going to be uh, maybe the biggest, at least at this point, looks like the biggest game of the regular season uh, in the league. So we'll see how it shakes out. Looking forward to it. We will talk all about it then. For Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com and Southern Fried Sports Radio, I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover. We'll talk to you next time here on Talking Tide.